0: Dear God, we thank you for this privilege to gather together tonight, and we pray that you'd be exalted, pray that you'd open up our hearts to receive your word, that you would speak to each and every one of us, God, help us to, uh, to just draw closer to you, to become more like Christ. Um, just, just have your way with us, God, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so, Wednesday nights. Um, we're reading through the Bible in a year as a church. If you're not sure where we're at, the pamphlets are on the back table. You grab a pamphlet, you pick up on October 7th tomorrow morning or tomorrow evening or whatever, and you'll be like right on pace. It's awesome. And you do it for 52 weeks, and you hit a whole year. It's kind of how math works, you know, 52 weeks, one year, that kind of thing. It's good stuff. So, um, so this week's reading... Uh, from Thursday of last week to this Wednesday, it took us from Matthew chapter 1 to Matthew chapter 19. So we're starting the New Testament, right? So we just wrapped up the entire Old Testament, which is phenomenal, right? The Old Testament is just such an amazing portion of God's Word, and it's vastly underappreciated, and so it's worth actually spending nine months going over um, because there's some just incredible stuff. But we get to the New Testament. And the New Testament is no less exciting, and it's no less the Word of God, and it's got no less application than all of the Old Testament. So, um, so you know, this is so it's kind of the beginning of the New Testament. You give a little bit of overview. Most of you guys are probably fairly familiar with this, but it's good sometimes to remind ourselves of the things we already know. So, New Testament, and we're going to start off. Studying the person of Jesus Christ, because Jesus is going to step into history and that's what marks the beginning of the New Testament. That's what shifts all of world history from B C to A D. Or if you want to be really up and coming and progressive, you could say, Well, that's where we went from C from B C E to C E went from before the common era to the common era. But oh, by the way, you know, that's a nice way to try and leave Jesus out of the equation. But what was that thing again that made it the common era? That's right. It was the birth of Christ, right? And so we're looking at the transition of all of world history right here, okay? And sometimes we don't appreciate that. Sometimes, you know, in history, there's these moments where it's like you're on a hallway and you turn a corner and all of a sudden you look back and you can't really see everything you, that was behind, Right, and there's there's specific pivotal moments in world history where that happens. All right, and this is one of them. Uh, the birth of Christ changes everything, because all of a sudden, humanity has uh, a potential answer for what's wrong with the world. And the, and the answer is, uh, there's a lot wrong with the world, but there's a solution. There's a path to redemption. So that's the Gospels. Gospel is the word that means good news. So. The New Testament is going to open up with four books, four Gospels, four retellings of the same good news. And we're going to get it from four different perspectives. As we're going through this year, we're going to spend seven weeks just in the Gospels. Okay, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four different guys who are going to tell us basically the same story. And we can look at it and say, well, why do I need to read the same story four times? Well, um, number one, it's the most significant story in all of world history. Right? It's the story that has more impact and more relevance for our lives than any other story. Number two, we're going to get to see the same story from different perspectives. Right? We're going to get to see different things. And each author is coming from a different background, a different point of view. And this is really the beautiful thing about the Word of God. Is, you know, we talk as Christians, we understand that Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. Right? We don't say, well, he was 80-20 was or no, it was 100-100, right? Jesus was fully God, but he was fully man. Well, in the same way, the word of God is fully written by God, but fully written by men. The Holy Spirit oversaw the entire process and gave men the right words and moved men and created an overarching narrative that doesn't contradict itself at all, even though it's written over 1,500 years in three different languages on three or four different continents, it's still telling the same story. Right? So the Holy Spirit fully wrote it, but it was also written by men. Men who were coming to, the, to their experiences with different backgrounds. Okay? Um, I'm not a Greek scholar, which is the language that the New Testament was written in. But Paul writes in a more conversational tone. Okay? Luke uh, writes like a college professor. All right? And so there's differences, and they're going to help us see a, a better perspective. All right? So Matthew opens up the New Testament. And um, if you're kind of looking, okay, so what's the flavor? What's the taste of Matthew, all right? The summary verse for the book of Matthew is Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. You don't have to flip there if you don't want to because we'll just be there for a second. But in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And so Matthew is giving us this perspective of Jesus Christ and he's saying Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the Old Testament all right and Jesus Christ is the one who came to complete everything that we couldn't do in the law on our own strength the law was given by God the Old Testament was given by God to say if you do all these things you'll find favor with God and in a lot of ways the point of the law was to prove that none of us can do all these things right to prove that we cannot attain to a relationship with God by doing right and so Jesus is stepping in as the fulfillment he says I've come to fulfill the law he doesn't say I came to keep the law and this is an important point because Jesus doesn't call us to be followers of the law he says I'm coming to fulfill it I'm coming to bring it to its full point of closure and now I'm ready to initiate something new okay Jesus winds up Finishing the Old Testament, his life on earth, with one command. With a couple. But he sums up it all in one command. And that is, love each other as I have loved you. Right? That's, that's it. Right? So he took all the laws of the Old Testament. He fulfilled them all perfectly. He said, okay, here's the only thing you got to worry about right now. You just love each other the same way that I loved you. That's it. Right? That's and it's, it's profound, and it still requires the work of the Lord, because we can't do that in our own strength. But that's the summary. So Matthew is giving us kind of a, a Jewish perspective on Jesus. and He's reminding us. We're going to get a lot of prophecies in the book of Matthew. A lot of saying, hey, here's where Jesus fulfilled this part of the Old Testament. Here's where Jesus fulfilled this part. Here's where he fulfilled where he would be born, how he would be born, who he'd be born, you know, what, what genealogy he'd be born through, what he would do in the temple, these different things, how he would die. All these pieces, Matthew's reminding us, all right? Um, So that's kind of the overview of where we're at in the book of Matthew. But tonight, specifically, uh, if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 16. And we're going to pick up in verse 13, and we're going to study from verse 13 to the end of the chapter, uh, provided we don't run out of time. So in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13, it says, Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So Jesus and his disciples are traveling around the nation telling people about who Jesus is. So they have this area called Caesarea Philippi, which is actually a very pagan area, a lot of idol worship, a lot of statues, you know, on all the corners. And they're walking through, and Jesus says, hey, by the way, who do people say that I am? And it's a, it's a, it's a fair question, right? It's like, you know, you guys are you're out and about in the community, you're you talking to a lot of people, you've kind of done your own short-term thing where they all went out for a little while and then came back. Who do people say that I am? And 14 says, and they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And they say, you know, there's, so the disciples say, there's kind of a, the jury's still sort of out on who you are exactly. Because some people look at you and say, man, that guy's like John the Baptist. That guy's like Elijah. That guy goes into the temple and he flips over the tables and he's okay calling the Pharisees a brood of vipers, right? And some people look at you and say, wow, he's kind of like Jeremiah, you know, like he's weeping, he's like, he's hanging out and he loves kids. He's like super chill and laid back, right? Which is an interesting commentary, first and foremost, on the personality of Jesus, right? A lot of times we like to box Jesus in to, you know, the nice Jesus or the tough Jesus or the... You know, everybody wants to get Jesus in their group. And, uh, and that's a little bit dangerous. So we want to be careful. Jesus is asking this question. The disciples are giving, saying, here's what people say. Right? People are kind of lumping you into a group. There's the people who think it's cool that you, you know, you told off the Pharisees. That's awesome. There's people who think it's so nice that you were, you know, nice to the kids the other day. That's so awesome. And there's all these different perspectives. And Jesus says, okay, that's great. Uh, verse 15. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? And that's a great question. That's a really important question because so often we can theorize, right? Who is God? What do you think it's like? What do you you think? All these different things. What would you do if you were in power? What would you do if you were in the White House? What would you do, you know, if you had a million dollars? We love giving ourselves these theoreticals. Who do people say that I am? Okay, that's great. Now, who do you say that I am? And there's a different level. There's a different call to action right there, right? And sometimes, and this is important. This is, if you're ever, you know, if you ever have a chance to be in a conversation with somebody where you're sharing the gospel with them, and there's all this different stuff about, you know, well, what about, you know, what about the guy, like, who's in the jungle somewhere who never had a chance to hear the gospel? It's okay to say, you know what, that's beside the point. What about you? You're hearing the gospel right now. What are you going to do about it? Right? I mean, it's not a bad question in and of itself, but there's, there's a call to action, Right? And it's okay to call people to action and say, No, no, wait, wait. Do you understand who Jesus is? I'm not talking about big groups. Big groups are interesting for polls and surveys and data. Right? But who do you say that I am? What are you gonna do about Jesus Christ? What are you gonna do with Jesus? Because everybody has to do something with him. And so it's okay to initiate that call to action. So Jesus asked this question, and verse sixteen, Simon Peter answered, You're the Christ, the Son of the Living God. I try really hard not to rabbit trail when I teach. You guys may not be aware of that. But this, is, um, this passage is a passage that a lot of people get hung up on. Because, well, depending on how you read it, and depending on how you are looking at the Greek and the original language, you could try and make a case that this proves that Peter was the first pope, if you have a Catholic background. If you want to look at it grammatically in the case, in the study of the Greek and the tense and the masculine and feminine verbs, you can make a very legitimate case uh, that I support that Peter was not the first pope. Right For a lot of reasons. Uh, for starters, Peter's married, um, which kind of downs the whole Pope thing. But, um, but in the midst of that passage, and this is the challenge sometimes, is it's easy to get into all these little pieces of doctrine. Right? Well, Jesus says, you know, hey, Peter, you're the, you know, the word Peter means rock. And Jesus says, upon this rock I'll build my church. So was he saying, upon like Peter I'll build the church? Or was he saying, upon like the rock of the truth, of Peter's declaration that Jesus was the Christ? And you know what the answer is? That's not the point of the text. So sometimes, and I just say this because we're reading a lot of scripture right now as a group. And so sometimes we can get into these passages where you can spend all kinds of time and brain space, theorizing, and figuring out, and studying. But what's the point of this passage? Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, bingo. They didn't have bingo back then. He said something else. But he said, right on, okay? He says, you're correct. I am the Christ. I'm the Son of the living God. And you did not come to that on your own intellect, Peter. The Holy Spirit revealed that to you. All right? And I'm going to give you certain blessings because you understand this and you declare this. So don't get hung up in the minutia. If you want to have a discussion about that later on, that's great. That's a good thing to do. I'm not saying that's bad. But don't get hung up and miss the overall picture. Because we do this a lot, right? Like in Romans, we'll be there in a few, in like a couple months. Romans 9, 10, and 11. People spend inordinate amounts of time on a couple verses in those chapters that talk and then try and extrapolate. Okay, well, does this mean that God created some people to go to hell and some people to go to heaven? And what does this mean about the nature of God? Do you know what Romans 9, 10, and 11 are about? They're about does God still care about the nation of Israel? And the answer is yes. That's what they're about. So as you're reading, because we're reading big chunks, okay, catch the big picture of what the Word of God is saying. Don't just don't get absorbed in the minutia. Okay, there's I'm not saying it's always bad, but don't miss the big point. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ, you're the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, exactly. So Peter got it right. Which then begs the question, what do each one of us say that Jesus is? Who do each one of us say that Jesus is? Because right? we all have a different idea culturally. Right? Everybody has this idea of who Jesus is. You know, he's he's your friend, or he's your buddy, or he's the guy in your pocket, or he's your king, or he's kind of the tyrant, or he's the, you know, he's the cop who's going to watch you. So, like, who is he? Right? Who do you say that Jesus is? Right? Because I can stand up here and teach, but if I don't know for myself who Jesus is, then everything I'm saying is, is totally worthless. Right? And we can all... We can all theorize all day long, we can do religion all day long, but until we can answer that question with a distinct answer, nothing else really matters, at all. It doesn't matter how good your doctrine is, it doesn't matter how bad your doctrine is, if you don't understand and can, if you're not able to give a clear, articulate answer for who is Jesus, then don't go any further than that, stop right there until you get that figured out, okay? Okay. You're given the answers to the test right here. Who is Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the Son of the living God. Christ is not a name. It's a title. He's the King. He's the Savior. He's the Redeemer. He's the one who pulls us from our sin and redeems us so that we can stand in the presence of God. Right? That's who Jesus is. Now, we're going to keep going on. Remember, Peter just got it right, which is pretty stellar, right? Like, if you're walking with Jesus... And Jesus asks you a question, and you give the answer, and he says, you got it right, and you got it right because the Holy Spirit was speaking through you. Like, you know, like that's Holy Spirit level stuff. That's, that's kind of cool, right? Like Jesus, you know, getting complimented by Jesus Christ would be kind of pretty awesome, right? So we go on, though, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus says, okay, now you guys understand I'm the Christ. So now let me explain a little bit and broaden your vision of what it means that I'm the Christ. I'm going to die as the sacrifice for your sins. Okay, there's this point in time in which he's, he's revealing bits and pieces, right? And verse 22, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him and saying, God forbid it, Lord. This shall never happen to you. So well we'll keep reading. But he turned, he being Jesus, and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest but man's. So in less than ten verses, Peter goes from having Jesus say, You know, you're blessed, and you're going to receive keys to the kingdom of heaven, to being told to being called Satan. Being told you are a stumbling block, block to God Himself, which is a pretty uh, intense rebuke, right? Like I've I've never been rebuked to that level before. That's pretty intense, right? But what's what just happened? Okay, what just I mean, like what just happened? Okay, because you look at those and those are two completely opposite statements from Jesus. How does the guy go from getting told blessed are you, the Holy Spirit is speaking through you? to being called Satan? Well, the answer is, Peter gets the answer right. He gets the answer right, okay? But as he's living out his understanding of this answer, what Peter's really trying to do is have a Jesus that performs according to his expectations, right? Peter's saying, you know what? You're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. That's Awesome. I am so ready to worship you and follow you wherever you go as long as it means you get rid of the Romans. Right? Peter is standing here saying, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. I am good with that as long as it lines up with my expectations. And Jesus says, I have no interest in your expectations. None whatsoever. Because you are not God and I am. So let's do this my way, Peter. Right? So, so this is, I mean, this is crazy important. We've got to understand this because we first of all have to be able to un- answer the question, who is God? Who is Jesus? And then we have to ask ourselves, okay, what do we do with that, right? Peter gets the first part right, but then the what do we do with that, he's like, well, I kind of want to get this to line up with my wants. Like, I'm awesome serving the Lord as long as it gives me what I want along the way, right? And Jesus isn't really here to satisfy our wants, right? I mean, we all have wants. Does anybody have wants? We've got a couple, right? I mean, like, collectively, if, you, if I said, give, you know, write down 10 things you're thankful for or 10 things you want, I could probably come up with the wants in like three seconds, right? I mean, it, it wouldn't take me very long. The, want, the thankful would take me a little bit longer, right? We want things. And so often we're trying to conform our idea of God to our wants, But it goes on, and this is, it goes on to verse 24, and this is really important. This is where I love reading big chunks of Scripture. Because each one of these, I don't know how you guys' Bibles are, but mine are like broken up with these headers that I really don't like, but they're there. Um, Each one of these, we're reading like three paragraphs tonight in my Bible. And each one of them, I've heard like individual messages on, where you can teach a whole sermon On When Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And you can teach a whole sermon on when when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And you can teach a whole sermon on this next chunk. But they're all together. Matthew didn't put in the headers. That's added by translators. So verse 24, we want to read this in context of what we've just gone over. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man according to his deeds. Jesus says, Peter, you got the first part of the question right. You understand who I am. But your problem is that you're trying to conform me to your image, right? And that's a big problem because Scripture tells us that we're created in the image of God. And really what we've been doing since the Garden of Eden is trying to create a God in our own image. We're trying to make the God who does things the way we want. And Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to let go of all your presuppositions of who you think I am you're going to have to be willing to let go of everything that Peter wants out of Jesus. Right? I'm going to have to be willing to let go of everything that Nate wants out of Jesus. Okay? If I want to follow Jesus, Nate's ideas about Jesus are going to have to die. And he says, you've got to be willing to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. You let your things fall aside. You let them die. You pick up what I'm giving you And you go with that. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's saying, you know what? You got the first part right. You got the second part wrong. Way. So I'm giving you the, you know, Jesus gives us the answers to the test. Right? And then he invites us to take the test, to live the test. He says, okay, here's what you do. You deny yourself. You take up your cross. You follow me. So if we want to experience the power of God transforming our lives, right? If we want to experience when he says the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, that's going to be pretty intense. I don't know exactly what that's going to look like, but I expect it to be very intense, right? The glory of God, right? I know, by the way, the angels will be there too, right? That's going to be pretty significant. I would like to, when I see that, I want it to be like, whoa, this is way more glorious than I ever pictured. I want it to be, whoa, this is so much more than I could have imagined. I don't want it to be, whoa, I was playing the wrong game for a long time. Right? I don't want it to be, wow, the Nate show was all of a sudden not very significant. I want it to be, the Nate show died a long time ago. Right? I mean, that's, that's what Jesus is inviting Peter to. That's what he's inviting me to. That's what he's inviting all of us to. He's saying, okay, look, here's the deal. There's the truth of who God is, right? That's verse 16. You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Truth, every statement of truth demands an action. It demands a response, right? If I say, you are a liar, well, then you either are or you aren't. You're either going to say you're right or you're wrong. You're gonna, you, it's going to initiate something. You can't just drop the statement and walk away. If you say, Jesus is the Christ— then that forces a response. You have to do something with that, right? You got to say, yes, he is, or no, he isn't, or I haven't made up my mind yet. Well, if you haven't made up your mind, make up your mind. If you think he's not, you're wrong. If you think he's right, if you think that statement's right, then what are you going to do about it, right? What are we going to do about it? If that statement is true, it demands a response, but it demands the appropriate response. It demands that we don't do what Peter tries to do, which is say, uh, hey, God, let's uh, kind of, get this all lined up. Let's get the shells in a row. Here we go. Boom. It demands instead that we say, okay, God, I want to deny myself. I want to take up my cross, and I want to follow you. And that is one of those, it's, it's an element, It's you know, in some ways it's very simple. But you can spend your whole life unpacking it, because the flesh is deep, right? Like, our humanity runs way deep in us. And you're we're going to Always have that opportunity, that invitation from the Lord. Hey, would you like to de- deny yourself right now? Hey, would you like to deny yourself right now? I'm giving you an opportunity to follow me right now. What are you going to do about it? I'm giving you an opportunity. I'm, I'm presenting you with a gift of a moment in time that you can utilize. What are you going to do with it? You can, you can take your own route. You can try and make yourself happy. You have that option, right? Or you can deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. You can pursue the glory of God, right? And, and, I'm, and I'm saying this, please, please don't misunderstand. I'm saying this uh, from the standpoint of somebody who has uh, a very keen awareness of what my own personal wants are, right? Like, I know exactly what I think would make me happy. I know what I need right? I know if God would just get in line with my plan, I know exactly the steps that I could coach him on, and we could make my life pretty dang awesome, right? But sometimes, you know, I've lived, I'm not that old, but I've lived long enough to see that sometimes we say, Lord, I want to deny myself. And he says, awesome. Sometimes we say, Lord, I don't want to deny myself. And he says, well, that's great, but I'm going to help you deny yourself, right? And just speaking from experience, it's a heck of a lot easier to go the first route and say, Lord, I want to deny myself. I want to experience all that you have for me. I want to let go of my wants. I want to let go of my selfish ambition, right? And the irony that's so fascinating is that as that happens, we find that our wants get fulfilled more and more often because our wants are getting realigned. Proverbs 16, I think verse 3, says, Commit your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. Now you could take that and try and make this whole, well, you know, if you're serving the Lord, the Lord will give you money and wealth and prosperity and all this. Or you can look at it uh, in accordance with the overall scripture and say if you commit your works to the Lord, the Lord is going to change your thoughts. The Lord's going to change your desires, and all of a sudden, you're going to want the will of God. You know what God always accomplishes? His will. The Lord always accomplishes His will. So if I'm craving the will of God, I'm going to get what I crave for. If I am desperate for the presence of God, you know what I'm going to get? The presence of God. right? So all of us, we we get in the statement of truth, okay? We're at a church that declares the gospel, that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that nobody gets to heaven through any means other than surrender to Jesus Christ. You get the statement. And that's given to each of us. But each one of us now is responsible for the response. So what are we going to do? Right? And that's, each one of us has to decide that in the integrity of our own hearts. I, nobody can make somebody have the right response. But it's a glorious invitation right? And, you know, and and again, I'm not saying this as the guy who's figured it out. I'm saying this as the guy who's had some moments in life where it's like, I think my wants are dying, right? And sometimes those are kind of fun, like, I killed my wants because I'm pretty awesome. And sometimes it's like, well, no, the Lord just killed my wants because they were in the way, right? But I'm getting to watch the Lord do things, and it's not always fun. Right? But it's pretty awesome. Right? It's it's exciting stuff. And I'm like, I have no idea what the Lord wants to do. I have no idea what the what the long term vision is, but what the heck? Right? I know the guy who wrote the beginning of the book and the end of the book. So he's gonna accomplish his will. And I would like to be surrendered enough to him that my will gets conformed to his. And that's the invitation that he's giving to each and every one of us, right? So, next week, we're going to finish the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to move into the Gospel of Mark. I like Mark. Mark writes like I talk, right? Everything's fast-paced. Mark is moving. He's got a mission. He's ready to go. So, you're reading Mark. Watch what happens. It's going to move fast, all right? You're reading Matthew. Watch the fulfillment of the Old Testament. We just spent a year studying we just spent nine months, sorry, studying the Old Testament. As we're reading the last few chapters in Matthew, we're getting to watch the fulfillment of that, right? So keep your eyes open. Keep looking. Watch what the Word of God has to say because He wants to say something to each every, and every one of us, right? So Lord, we pray that You'd speak to us. You'd just help, help Your truth to go deep into our hearts. I pray that You would transform us from the inside out, that we would be willing to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow after you. God, we want to be people who are hungry for your presence, hungry for your glory, hungry for your word, hungry for your spirit. God, we want more of you. We thank you that that you have promised us to give living water to each and every one of us who is thirsty. You're offering to give your Holy Spirit to everyone who asks. So we're asking, God, we're asking that you would fill us up to overflowing, Just pour through our lives, God. Move in our midst. Have your way with us. And we just ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen.